So as I mentioned, we're going to continue our study on the Sabbath. Um, Before I do that, who likes peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Oh, come on now. I know more of you like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, right? Did you hear the big news about peanut butter? No? Well, I'm not going to spread it. (laughs) All right. That's a Bob Canolte joke, by the way. You can blame him for that one. Just kidding. Uh, now that I got your attention, let's get started. Uh, as was mentioned, uh, we're going to continue our study of the Sabbath today. If you'll be turning to Genesis chapter 2, and we'll read uh, a few verses there. that We read these last week. If you weren't here, we'll review a little bit of what we looked at last week, and then we'll continue on our study, and hopefully we'll finish up with it uh, before class is over today. Uh, Genesis 2, chapter 1. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. Then on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. <coughs> and he had rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Verse 3, then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which he had created and made. All right, very interesting verse, right? There's a verse that tells us that God blessed the seventh day, the day he rested from his work, right? And we talked a lot about this last week, what this means. And we, we talked about some questions that you can ask about that Sabbath day. For instance, what is the Sabbath day, right? And we kind of answered that. We kind of talked about what the Jewish view of the Sabbath was. And, of course, if you see any writings from the Old Testament or from the Jew, or Jewish history, you'll know that the Sabbath was began on, at sundown on Friday night and ended on sundown on Saturday night. And if you remember, of course, the crucifixion story, Jesus had to be taken down. They soldiers came around and were making sure they were dead so they could get these men down before sundown on Friday because the Sabbath was about to begin, right? And so they had to get that done, the work done, before it began. And so we have that, we have that question answered, right? We know that. And then we started, we decided to ask the question, well, are Christians supposed to keep the Sabbath, right? Are we supposed to do that today? And then a third question, perhaps, is Sunday now the new Christian Sabbath? Well, we answered. We started to begin answer that from the Old Testament. I want to go over to uh, Exodus chapter 20 and follow me, follow with me over there. And we're going to read where that was instituted more or less. Exodus chapter 20, and let's read beginning in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is in your gates. Take notes of that phrase right there. Nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. All right. So we thought we talked last week uh, about the history of the Sabbath day, when it was actually established, and what it was all about. One of the things we noted was, and this is, we can read some of this in some of the early Christian writers, particularly Justin Martyr, who lived uh, about from 100 A.D. to 165 A.D., and by the way, he's called Justin Martyr because he was martyred for his Christian beliefs. And he wrote some stuff talking about the fact that the patriarchs did not have this command. This was not commanded of the patriarchs. So all the way from Adam, all the way to Moses, there was nothing about the Sabbath. 
really the only time we see it in Genesis is in that verse, Genesis 2, verse 3. We don't see it again until Exodus 16. All the way from Genesis 3 to Exodus 15, that's Adam to Moses. We see nothing about the Sabbath day. And then we read last week some things about the, what Justin Martyr said, what Tertullian said. And one of the things that Justin Martyr tried to make the point about was that we are now in our Sabbath rest due to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? Now, I'm not saying, stating that Justin Martyr was an inspired writer or an apostle or anything, but his understanding in the first century was that the Sabbath was a forerunner, just like circumcision was. And we read about when circumcision took place. Circumcision was, we read in Genesis 17, was to take place on the eighth day of a, boy, a baby boy's life. You can there are medical reasons for that, but he uses that to show that's also a forerunner of Jesus Christ. And he went on to say that eighth day was the day of the resurrection, the day after the Sabbath. You had the seventh day of the Sabbath, and then you had the eighth day when he was raised again on that first day of the week. And so he's comparing those two together, and he's saying we are now in that eighth day. We are now in our Sabbath rest that's been taken place by the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so now what he's saying is, we are now in the Christian age. We are now in our Sabbath rest, which was pointed to by the commands that God gave the Jews back in Exodus 20. And so we, we, look, we talked about that a little bit, and then we went on and read Exodus 16, and that's where we first see the command being given. And we, just, we talked about how this was actually before Ten Commandments were given, right? These Israelites have now left Egypt. They're in the wilderness uh, between Elam and Sinai. They're not to Sinai yet. And they complain, remember? They complain to Moses that they don't have enough to eat. Here they are, took them out of captivity, and now they're going to starve to death, they're saying. God says, okay, I will deliver them. I will give them food. In the evening, they will have the quail, the meat. In the morning, I will give them the manna. And then he told them something else about that, right? He went on to say, you shall gather in the morning enough for you to have that day. Not more, not less, just for you and your family. And then he said, on the sixth day, though, I want you to gather a double portion because uh, on the seventh day you will rest. You are to, uh, not you are to keep the Sabbath on that seventh day. He didn't exactly tell what that was all about then. He just said, you're going to rest. And we read about the fact that even then, some of the Israelites still went out on the seventh day to gather and found there was nothing there, right? And so that would infer that they had never had this command before. This is the first time they're hearing about it, right? This is the first time that God has instituted anything about the Sabbath to the Israelites. Then we went on to talk about the fact that it was codified in the law. Moses, of course, in the Ten Commandments. We just read that in Exodus 20. It was a, it was a, a commandment of the Israelites we even said that perhaps Moses, really, Genesis 2, verse 3, put that in when he wrote it, right? I mean, Moses wrote Genesis, and perhaps it wasn't so much that he blessed it at that time, but perhaps he's referring back to when the command actually happened. Don't know that for sure. I could certainly see that God blessed the seventh day when it occurred. That's what some scholars would tell you, that perhaps this is really a preface to the actual occurrence when it happened there in Exodus 16 or Exodus 20. So he goes on to say that the, this was the command given to the Israelites and it became a sign unto the Israelites. 
turn over to Exodus chapter 31. I want to read this again. Chapter 31, and beginning in verse 12, <clears throat> he says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. In other words, just like circumcision, God instituted the Sabbath day as a sign between he and the Israelites, the sign of that Sabbath rest. They were to do no work. Now I want you to notice something else on this. None of these verses say anything about you need to provide a worship day that day. Right? It wasn't like that was a that had to be a special worship day. Now, the Israelites would come together on the Sabbath and meet in the synagogues, right? And have a special time of worship, a special time of gathering, of reading of scripture and so forth. We don't see that command made that they had to worship that day. Okay? I want you to keep that in mind. Also, I want you to understand that this command was never commanded to the Gentiles. It was strictly a sign between God and the Israelites. You say, how do you know that? Well, go back to verse chapter 20, verse 10, when he says, uh, those who will serve are those who are inside your gates. What does he mean by that? I kind of rushed through this last week because we were running out of time, but I want to read it again. Turn back over to Nehemiah and chapter... Uh, 13, and let's just read something that was going on at the time. Chapter 13, this is when Nehemiah has come back. He's established, he's rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. And beginning at verse 15, he says, In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre dwelt there also who bought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is it that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do thus? Did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Yet you bring your added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. So it was at the gates of Jerusalem as it began to be dark before the Sabbath that I commanded the gates to be shut and charged that they must not be opened till after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gates so that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath day. Now the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wages, of all kinds of wares, lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. Then I warned them and said to them, Why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I'll lay hands on you. From that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. Interesting, right? Here's Nehemiah saying, you guys are coming in here and working on the Sabbath and selling your stuff. You need to get out of here. Or we're going to close the gates. And we don't want you in here on the Sabbath. Just think about that for a minute. These are not Israelites. These were men from Tyre and other places. He's saying the Sabbath is our holy day. It's not for you. Get out of here. Don't come in the gates on that day. We're going to shut it up. So 
can infer from this that it was definitely not a command between God and the Gentiles. Right? It was between God and the Israelites. I want you to keep that in mind as we continue on. The Sabbath served as a sign between God and Israel, and there's no indication that it was intended here for all mankind. All right. That's what we glean from the Old Testament from the early writers. Let's move into the New Testament now. See what we can read about that. Jesus. Jesus certainly taught in the synagogues on the Sabbath. Turn over to the book of Mark, and let's read a few verses from there. All right, Mark chapter 1. them as one having authority and not as scribes. Now turn over to Luke chapter 4. Let's read another passage about that. Chapter 4. And let's look at verse uh, around verse 16. Luke 4, 16, he says, So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recover the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You see, it was his practice to go into the synagogue on the Sabbath. It was his custom, right? So Jesus was following the customs of the law. Remember, he has not been crucified yet. He has not been raised yet. Well, he is doing that. He's following the law. he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pick, pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priest." And also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Interesting. He's doing some stuff on the Sabbath that, according to the Pharisees, was not according to the law. Hmm. He's ruffling some feathers, isn't he? What else did he do? Mark 3, verse 1. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he could heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do evil, to 
save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. And notice verse 6. And then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. He was healing people first, you know. I mean, think about that for a minute. He's healing people. But they're watching to make sure he's going to do it on the Sabbath so they can get him. Can you see the irony in that at all? He was doing some things a little different than what they said could be done in the law. Turn over to John chapter 5. day was the Sabbath. The Jews, Jews therefore said to him, who was cured? It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Here we have Jesus. He's following the law. He's going into the synagogue on the Sabbath. He's observing the Sabbath. But he's doing some things on the Sabbath that the Pharisees said, no, no, you can't do that. They had added to. They had made additional to. They had decided this is wrong, and he's telling them not to do it. That's not what it's all about. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 12, and let's see what it's really all about. <clears throat> I know we're going to be jumping around here, but I want to show you these verses because you might need to use them in a discussion sometime. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. At the time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, the heads of grain and eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, and for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law that the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and the blameless? And I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. This is Matthew's account of what we just read there in Mark. What's he saying? It's not about the Sabbath. It's about the Lord. The Lord rests on the Sabbath, therefore you are to rest. Honor that. Honor what God did for you and what the Son of Man is now wanting to do for them. He points out their ignorance of the life. He points out that the Lord, he is even the Lord of the Sabbath, and he counts out their inconsistencies. Turn over to John chapter 7, and let's see what he says about that. Verse 22, or 21. Here. Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you all marvel. More with Moses, therefore I gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath? man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, 
because of the law of Moses should not be broken. Are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. He's making a point. You make exceptions. You keep the law of circumcision on the Sabbath, and now you're getting after me because I'm healing somebody on the Sabbath? is following the law as a good Jew should do, but he's creating controversy about it because they have so lifted up this Sabbath day that people couldn't keep it, really. I mean, you've got to do stuff on the Sabbath. Things happen, right? Make sure you note the following things. The law of Moses is still in effect, and that is true. As an Israelite, Jesus kept the law. But he also displayed authority to forgive sins. And he did certain the law. And that was what was blowing the Pharisees and scribes away. But he was acting like God. Didn't want to. Even if he showed all their inconsistencies, all the differences, all the problems with their views of the Sabbath. Turn over to Matthew chapter 9. saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. Excuse me, I'm in the wrong chapter. Matthew 9, I'm in verse 8. Verse 6. Let's go back to verse 4. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, To rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. There's nothing to indicate in any of this stuff that Jesus extended the Sabbath to all people. He's actually making a case that they had raised the Sabbath way too high, elevated above God, in other words, elevated above man, in all likelihood. Well, who else? what else can we glean from the New Testament? Of course, we have the apostles, right? They were doing things. They were preaching. What did they have to say about the Sabbath? Turn over to Matthew chapter 24. Let's see what's going on there. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. <clears throat> and let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of the house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. What are they referring to here? Well, this is a prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem. Remember? We talked about this back when we were talking about end times, AD 70. Hopefully this will not happen on the Sabbath when the gates are closed and you can't get out. That's the point he's trying to make. Paul utilized the Sabbath to serve just like Jesus. Acts chapter uh, 17. Verse 1. Now 
taught Babylonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And then Paul, as is custom, of course, went into them. And for three Sabbaths, reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. Now go down to verse 17. Actually, verse 16. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, the Spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile, Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Paul would go into the synagogue to preach. He would also go into the marketplace. He would go wherever he needed to go to preach the gospel. But Paul also taught what? We just talked a lot about it in Galatians, didn't we? The law was no longer in effect. It's been nailed to the cross. You want to remind yourself, turn over to Romans chapter 7. Therefore, my brethren, you also become dead to the law through the body of Christ, and that you have been married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions were aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin up through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. Paul used the opportunity to go into the synagogues on the Sabbath, but he was preaching that the law was no longer in effect for Christians. That's interesting, isn't it? So he's not saying that we need to keep the Sabbath by doing it. He's using it. Using it as an opportunity. Go into Ephesians 2, Colossians 2, where we read the law and its ordinances were nailed to the cross. Okay? We talked about that in Galatians, how Paul is telling the Gentiles, if you are circumcised, you've got to keep the whole law, remember? Yet the people who are telling you to do it are not keeping the whole law because they can't keep the whole law. Interesting concept. There is now a new superior covenant place the other. The law and the ordinances, like the Sabbath and circumcision, are no longer to be kept. Turn over to Colossians chapter 2. This is Paul making reference to something, well, to what we've been talking about, the Judaizers, those that are coming in and saying you've got to keep this, you've got to do that. Colossians 2, verse 16, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Here's Paul making a statement about what this martyr was referring to. Circumcision, Sabbath, were all forerunners, shadows, foreshadows, Paul's saying, it's not about keeping new moons or special festivals, which the Jews kept, or, or sacrifices, which the Jews kept. It's all pointing to Jesus. All that has been removed with the crucifixion. We're now under a new covenant. 
we are no longer under that old law. We now are in the Sabbath of our Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Just on that point, perhaps not as plain there as Justin Martyr might have said, that's the occasion. It's no longer keep a Sabbath. It's no longer being circumcised. It's no longer keeping festivals and special traditions of the Jews. Now, Jewish Christians continue to keep these things. We know that from Acts. In fact, let's turn over to Acts chapter 21. come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the others were present. When he, when he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the custom. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses that they may shave, those, may shave their heads and that, and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing, except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. What are we getting at here? There were still Jewish Christians keeping things of the law. And on occasion, Paul would do that too. If it meant being able to preach, right? When I'm in Rome, I do as the Romans. When he's with the Jews, he's going to do as the Jews. But he's teaching, no, this is not to be kept. And they even hear this, right? They hear you're teaching things that we're not supposed to keep the law. Perhaps even some of the apostles had not quite grasped that yet. And Paul and the other elders of this church in Colossae say, well, when we teach the Gentiles this, that's not going to be part of it doesn't say they're not going to teach the Sabbath, but he simply says all we need to tell them is the things about uh, not eat, not keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. You see, we talk about that in Galatians, that freedom we have in Christ Jesus, right? We're no longer under the law. We use the law as our tutor to know what is right and wrong, what is sinful, but it's not about keeping the old practice of the law. And of course, you can't keep coming into them and saying, yes, I'm teaching the true liberty of Christ, the true gospel. We are free in Christ. We have a law of love, and we obey. We try not to sin. We live according to the Spirit out of our love for Him. Paul and the apostles draw a clear line here. And let's go back to Acts 15 and we'll read more about this account. Paul and the apostles draw a clear line here as to what was to be taught to the Gentiles. Acts 15, verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, 
Unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's what they were saying. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. And if you go down to verse 19, verse 18, Known to God from eternity all his works, therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Paul and the apostles are saying, that's all we need to tell the Gentiles. They are not to have to keep these things. These are signs that we would stone. One other thing, remember we read in Galatians 5 about the law not being the basis for salvation. You remember what Paul said about it? If you're going to be circumcised, if you're going to keep the law, if you're going to try to do these things, you are subject to not inheriting the kingdom of heaven. told them, right? Remember that? He told those Christians who are in Galatia that if you continue to try to keep law and you continue to try to enforce things on other brethren, you're in danger of losing your salvation. God says, tell them, this is not the basis of salvation. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ and Him alone. He made the ultimate sacrifice. We could even talk about all the sacrifices, the bulls and goats. You can read that in Hebrews 8 and 9. How that didn't do it. They were also foreshadows types of what was to come. Jesus, the ultimate sacrificial lamb. You understand that, right? You get that. The Sabbath, the circumcision, all these things were foreshadowing what was to come. One more point I want to make on that, though, is in fact, let's turn over to uh, Romans chapter 14. one is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let him, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received them. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. He does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat, and gives God thanks. Paul's making a point there that we are not to judge each other when those still feel like they need to keep some of these things. They need to be taught, but we need to be gentle with them, not condemn them for it. They still have things in their mind. They have been received by God. And I want you to understand that too. Just because someone has something a little different, that doesn't mean they're necessarily doing something wrong. And we need to help them understand, just like Paul did in his letters to the churches in Galatia. There's nothing in the apostolic practice or writings that say the Sabbath had to be kept by Christians. <coughs> in your outline, I'm running out of time here, so in your outline, there's some uh, interesting things from church history. We talked about Justin Martyr. One of the things Justin Martyr wrote in his church of Pilate, he says, On the day called Sunday, all who lived in cities or country gathered together to one place. 
and the memoirs of the apostles and the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Epistle of Barnabas, we keep the eighth day, Sunday, with joyfulness, the day also on which Jesus arose again from the dead. If you go look at your Encyclopedia Britannica, it will say uh, from, let's see, Sunday, the first week, first uh, day of the week of Christianity, the Lord's Day, the weekly memorial of Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. The practice of Christians gathering together for worship on Sunday dates back to apostolic times. I know nobody reads that and wants I don't know what Wikipedia said. I didn't look at it. But that has been out throughout history, the day that the Christians would meet. A couple points I want to make before we leave. As we've seen, most early Christians did not observe the Sabbath. Some Jewish Christians continue to observe the Sabbath, including heretical groups like the Idianites. And throughout the 4th, 5th, and 6th century, this is something that went on. There were many that tried to keep the Sabbath, say you had to keep it. But throughout history, for the most part, Christians have met on Sunday, the Lord's Day, the day when Jesus was raised. Basically, you got three views of the Sabbath. The Sabbatarian view, the Saturday is the Sabbath and should be kept by Christians. This is a view held by Seventh-day Adventists and some other groups. They're right to say, uh, they're correct in saying the Sabbath is on Saturday. That is true. But they're wrong to say we got to keep it and meet on that day. The Sunday Sabbath day, there's some who would say that uh, the Sabbath, the Sunday is the Sabbath and should be kept by Christians. This is a view held by uh, Catholic and Protestant churches alike. They would say that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. That's not right. That's not the Sabbath that we're talking about in the Old Testament. Okay? We are to meet together. We come together on Sunday as they were doing in the first century. If you want to read about it, Acts 20 and 7, they met on the first day of the week to break bread. Troas. First Corinthians uh, 16. Put away money on the first day of the week that he might when he comes he might have some some finances to take Jerusalem right the biblical view is Saturday was the Sabbath and we're not to keep it as Christians we're not obligated the Sabbath is actually the seventh day of the week and one thing I want to point out I'm running out of time I don't have time to read it but Hebrews 4 1 through 11 if you have a chance read those verses talks about the rest that remains for the people of God Scripture is very plain that the idea of God blessing the seventh day is he's foreshadowing the coming of Jesus Christ. We now have Jesus Christ as our Savior. We are in our rest. You may think, well, your rest is really when you die and you go to heaven. Well, remember we've talked about this many times. As Christians, we are now in the kingdom of heaven. We're part of it. The church is the kingdom of heaven on earth. We don't think about that way that way, do we? We don't think about the fact that we are in eternity now. Our life in God has started already. Therefore, we are in our rest in Jesus Christ. We are experiencing our Sabbath. That's what the Old Testament is referring to, the Sabbath day. The tradition of Israel. Mind circumcision Israel is now pointing to Christianity all the world as well. Adam through Jesus and his work. So, if you're serious about being part of that rest, you need to be here. You need to be in prayer to God. You need to be thanking him for what he's done for you. And you need to be working, doing what you can do to help the kingdom. That's part of that rest. And when we get
get to heaven, you're going to be in great. But you should be experiencing that moment.